Hello, this is Father John Arthur Orr, Associate Pastor at Holy Ghost Catholic Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. This is our 29th installment on Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body. The 133 talks Pope John Paul II gave during the five years, 1979 through 1984, as Bishop of Rome. We're indebted to Professor Michael Waldstein's edition, published by the Daughters of St. Paul. Insatiability of the Union Corruption of the Consciousness of the Unitive Meaning of the Body When we spoke about the birth of concupiscence in man, on the basis of Genesis, we analyzed the original meaning of shame, the shame which appeared with the first sin. The analysis of shame in the light of the biblical account allows us to understand even more thoroughly and deeply what meaning it has for all interpersonal relationships between man and woman. Genesis chapter 3 shows without any doubt that shame appeared in the reciprocal relationship between man and woman and that this relationship underwent a radical transformation due to shame in particular. And because shame was born in their hearts together with the concupiscence of the body, the analysis of original shame allows us at the same time to examine in what relation this concupiscence stands to the communion of persons that has from the beginning been granted and assigned as a task to man and woman by their being created in the image of God. Thus, the next stage of our study of concupiscence, which manifested itself at the beginning through the shame of the man and the woman, according to Genesis chapter 3, is the analysis of the insatiability of the union, that is, of the communion of persons, that was to be expressed also by their bodies according to their specific masculinity and femininity. Above all, therefore, that shame which, according to the biblical narrative, makes the man and the woman hide their own bodies before each other, and especially their sexual differentiation, confirms that the original power of communicating themselves to each other, about which Genesis chapter 2 verse 25 speaks, has been shattered. The radical change in the original meaning of nakedness lets us presume negative changes in the whole interpersonal relation between man and woman. That reciprocal communion in humanity itself, through the body and through its masculinity and femininity, which had such a strong echo in the earlier passage of the Yahweh's narrative, see Genesis chapter 2 verses 23 through 25, is overturned at this moment, as if the body in its masculinity and femininity cease to be free from suspicion, as the substratum of the communion of persons, as if its original function were called into doubt in the consciousness of the man and the woman. What disappears is the simplicity and purity of their original experience, which helped to bring about a singular fullness of mutual self-communication. Obviously, the first parents did not stop communicating with each other through the body and its movements, gestures, and expressions, but what disappeared was the simple and direct self-communion connected with the original experience of reciprocal nakedness. Almost unexpectedly, an insurmountable threshold appeared in their consciousness that limited the original self-donation to the other with full trust in all that constituted one's own identity and, at the same time, diversity 
female on the one side, male on the other. The diversity or the difference between the male and female sexes was abruptly sensed and understood as an element of the mutual opposition of persons. This is attested to by the concise expression of Genesis chapter 3 verse 7. They realized that they were naked and by its immediate context. All of this is also part of the analysis of the first shame. Genesis not only sketches its origin in the human being, but allows one to show its degrees in both man and woman. The ending of the power of a full reciprocal communion, a closure that manifested itself as sexual shame, allows us to understand better the original value of the unifying meaning of the body. It is, in fact, not possible, otherwise, to understand that closure to each other, or shame, except in reference to the meaning that the body in its femininity and masculinity previously had for man in the state of original innocence. That unifying meaning should be understood not only in reference to the unity that the man and the woman were to constitute as spouses by becoming one flesh, Genesis chapter 2 verse 24, through the conjugal act, but also in reference to the communion of persons itself, which was the proper dimension of the existence of man and woman in the mystery of creation. In its masculinity and femininity, the body was the specific substratum of such personal communion. Sexual shame about which Genesis chapter 3 verse 7 speaks attests to the loss of the original certainty that through its masculinity and femininity the human body is precisely the substratum of the communion of persons, a substratum that simply expresses this communion and serves to realize it, and thus also to complete the image of God in the visible world. This state of consciousness of both has strong repercussions in the further context of Genesis chapter 3, with which we will occupy ourselves in a short while. Since, after original sin, man had lost the sense, so to speak, of the image of God in himself, that loss manifested itself by shame, see especially Genesis chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, that shame, invading the man-woman relation as a whole, was manifested through the imbalance of the original meaning of bodily unity, that is, through the imbalance of the body as a specific substratum of the communion of persons. It is as if the personal profile of masculinity and femininity, which before had highlighted the meaning of the body for a full communion of persons, had given up its place to the mere sensation of sexuality with regard to the other human being. It is as if sexuality became an obstacle in man's personal relationship with woman, while according to Genesis chapter 3 verse 7, they hide their sexuality from each other, both express it almost instinctively. A deeper dimension of shame. This discovery is at the same time a sort of second discovery of sex, which in the biblical narrative differs radically from the first. The whole context of the narrative confirms that this new discovery distinguishes the historical man of concupiscence, more precisely the man of the threefold concupiscence, 
from the man of original innocence, in what relation does concupiscence, and in particular the concupiscence of the flesh, stand to the communion of persons mediated by the body, by its masculinity and femininity, assigned from the beginning to man by the Creator? This is the question that must be asked precisely about the beginning, about the experience of shame that the biblical text refers to. The narrative of Genesis chapter 3, as we have already observed, manifest shame as the symptom of man's detachment from love, in which he participated in the mystery of creation, according to the Johannine expression, that which comes from the Father. That which is in the world, namely concupiscence, brings with it an almost constitutive difficulty in identifying oneself with one's own body, not only in the sphere of one's own subjectivity, but even more so in regard to the subjectivity of the other human being, of woman for man and man for woman. Hence, the necessity of hiding oneself before the other, with one's body, with what determines one's own femininity or masculinity. This necessity shows the fundamental lack of trust, which already, in itself, points to the collapse of the original relationship of communion. It is precisely regard for the subjectivity of the other, and at the same time, for one's own subjectivity, that has given rise in this new situation, that is, in the context of concupiscence, to the need for hiding oneself about which Genesis chapter 3 verse 7 speaks. And precisely here, it seems to us, we discover a deeper meaning of sexual shame, and also the full meaning of that phenomenon to which the biblical text appeals to highlight the boundary between the man of original innocence and the historical man of concupiscence. The text of Genesis chapter 3 as a whole provides us with elements to define the deepest dimension of shame, but this calls for a separate analysis. We will begin with it in the next reflection. And with these words, our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, concluded his 29th Catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, a Theology of the Body. The heading for this 29th Catechesis of our Holy Father is the insatiability of the union, the union being between a husband and a wife, the nuptial union, that it is insatiable is to say it cannot be quenched, like a thirst which cannot be satisfied. That's the heading of this catechesis, but he treats insatiability of the union really more in the 30th catechesis. In this catechesis, our Holy Father continues to speak about concupiscence, the tendency to sin, one of the consequences, one of the sad consequences of the fall, of original sin. The others are suffering, death, and ignorance. These things are related to the preternatural gifts. Suffering and death, we were preserved from these by God's protective hand. But we forfeited his protection by our sin, by the first sin of our first parents. The eternal consequences of original sin, eternal hell, is washed away by the grace given in holy baptism, with waters made powerful by the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus applied to us. Thanks be to God. In treating concupiscence in this 29th Catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body, Pope John Paul II speaks about the birth of concupiscence. 
To speak of birth is to speak of the beginning. While we know that human life begins at conception, uh, the debut of the newly conceived in a real way begins at birth because we get to see the eyes, we get to see the nose, to shake the hand, to pat the back of the little one. The birth of concupiscence is to welcome, albeit an unwelcome guest, the tendency to sin. When was concupiscence born? Concupiscence was born with the disobedience of our first parents in the garden, Adam and Eve. Concupiscence being the tendency to sin is present in us all. It's a consequence which touches us all. The Holy Father has already highlighted the threefold nature of concupiscence, according to St. John's first letter, concupiscence of the eyes, of the flesh, and the pride of life. These are different tendencies we have to sin, according to sacred scripture. Here, in this 29th Catechesis, Pope John Paul II specifically is highlighting the concupiscence of the body, a tendency to sin with our body. And this happens not only with sins of lust, but even with sins of gluttony, to eat or drink too much. Or, on the other equation, there have been those who don't eat enough. We know of mental disorders, anorexia and bulimia, eating disorders. So a concupiscence of the body has to do with a tendency to sin with the body. And in the theology of the body, our Holy Father primarily is focusing on sins of the body, tendencies to sin with the body regarding human sexuality, sins of lust, sins against chastity, against modesty, against purity. And in this second part of the second chapter of the first part of the theology of the body, the Holy Father is treating the man of concupiscence. The first part of the second chapter, Christ appeals to the human heart. He reminds us in the Sermon on the Mount, whoever looks with desire upon another has already committed adultery. In the first part of chapter 1 of the Theology of the Body, he spoke to us about the beginning. In the beginning, it was not so. Moses gave permission to divorce because of the hardness of your hearts. To speak of the heart is to speak of the body but it's also to speak of the person, symbol of the person. And a concupiscence of the body is a tendency to sin in our bodies, be it our desires, the desires of our hearts, or what we do with our bodies. We also are able to sin interiorly, and that's the desire part, that's the soul part. Pope John Paul II speaks to us about the relation of concupiscence the concupiscence of the body, and the communion of persons. This tendency to sin with our bodies impacts our communion, our lack of communion, with other persons, other embodied spirits, other human beings. And the way we relate or don't with other human beings also impacts the way we relate with God, who assures us in sacred scripture that we cannot love the God we cannot see if we do not love the neighbor we can. So, our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, is calling us to a great love of neighbor here, and a love for God, as well as the proper love of self. This concupiscence of the body, the tendency to sin with the body, impacts our relations with others. 
We ask the Lord Jesus to heal us, body and soul, whole and entire, in all of our relationships with God, with ourselves, with others. We are made for a communion of persons since we're made in the image of God. God who is an eternal communion of persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In treating concupiscence further, Pope John Paul II speaks of the historical man of concupiscence. That's our history. I was not there in the garden. That's my prehistory. You were not there in the garden. That's your prehistory. But now, all we have to do is look in the mirror, or listen to the radio, or read the news. We see that in history, not only ourselves but others have tendency to sin. This is our history. How many volumes have been written? Crimes against humanity. The historical man of concupiscence is man throughout history sinning and tending to sin. The remedy for this, of course, we know is only Christ our Lord, who suffered and died for my sins and yours and those of the world. He, too, is a historical man, though not one who tended to sin. He is one who never sinned. It is only by his grace that we can overcome sin in our lives. Behold the man, Ecce Homo, Pilate said. And Christ Jesus shows us not only the truth about God, but the truth about ourselves. He is the man around whom history revolves. Recall that in the West we set our calendars, the year 2010, the year 2000, all the centuries before his birth and following his birth, which is the great demarcation line of history. And finally, in treating concupiscence in this 29th Catechesis, man and woman, he created them a theology of the body. Pope John Paul II reminds us of the threefold concupiscence, particularly the concupiscence of the flesh. But it's not as if he discounted the pride of life or the concupiscence of the eyes. The Holy Father had a keen insight into human nature, not only because of his own humanity, but because of his interactions, his dealing with so many human beings, both before and after becoming the Bishop of Rome. Before becoming the Bishop of Rome, as serving as the Archbishop of Krakow and as a professor at the Catholic University of Lublin, in his pastoral relations, dealing with the students and the young couples, he had a great experience, not to mention all the pastoral voyages, the trips he made, crisscrossing the globe meeting with so many others who are made in the image and likeness of God, meeting so many others who, like himself and ourselves, have this tendency to sin, a consequence of the fall of original sin which we have inherited, and unfortunately which on our worst days we compound by our own actual sins. Pride of life, the sin of the spirit, the sin of my soul. We heard it on the playground as kids. I am better than you are. We may be more sophisticated now in our age, but sacred scripture has it head on. Concupiscence of the eyes. Pope John Paul II specifically addresses that. Whoever looks upon another with desire, a disordered desire, a concupiscent desire, has already sinned, has already committed adultery in the heart. 
Some, however, do not only sin in the heart, do not only sin with the eyes, with a degraded desire, a reductive desire. Some act out, either alone or with others, in sins of the flesh. And the Holy Father here, because of his commission, having received the call from Christ, not only for his own personal holiness, but to encourage others, calls us to repentance, calls us to chastity, to virtue, to purity, to holiness. And we can answer the call if we so choose. Pope John Paul II does not only speak about concupiscence in this 29th Catechesis, man and woman, he created them, a theology of the body. He also speaks extensively about shame. Ain't that a shame? He doesn't just speak about sentimentality. He has been analyzing shame throughout these conferences, his Wednesday audiences, and in this text, an analysis. What does it mean? What was the original meaning of shame? Shame in the reciprocal relationship between man and woman, between husband and wife. I was naked, so I hid myself. This is the scriptural reference which gives us the original experience, the original moment of shame. Shame before each other and shame before God. Shame radically transformed the reciprocal relationship between man and woman, between husband and wife. So we had the original unity which the Pope addressed in earlier catechesis. Now we see that the original unity has been ruptured, has been radically transformed. So instead of original unity, now we have, as a consequence of the fall, shame. The relationship changed, and not for the better. But Christ our Lord, bridegroom of Mother Church, he seeks to not only repair, but to improve, make better the relationship, For now, in the sacrament of marriage, the love between husband and wife is able to mirror his love for his bride, the church. A life-giving love, a love to the end. Shame makes the man and the woman hide their own bodies. We see fig leaves and then we see crudely sewn vestments, garments. Now we have much finer clothing, but still our bodies hidden. And then... We hide the depths of our souls, our deepest desires, our longings, our fears, our joys. We hide these things, too, as a consequence of shame, which has entered the world through sin. Original sin, which we have inherited, and our own subsequent sins, which we heap on, the remedy of which only is Christ. His death and resurrection applied to us in the saving waters of holy baptism, and through life lived in his mystical body, Mother Church. Pope John Paul II, in this 29th Catechesis, Man and Woman, he created them a theology of the body, his analysis, not only of concupiscence, but of shame, original shame, shame which has its origin in the fall of man. Pope John Paul II, continuing his analysis of shame and original shame, reminds us that concupiscence is manifested by shame. He speaks repeatedly in this 29th Catechesis about sexual shame. Sometimes shameful things are done, and otherwise, even if shameful things are not being done, there is a lack of confidence between husband and wife in regards to these things all a consequence of the fall of original sin. 
and that we are created in the image of God is not sensed so often as a consequence of original sin. This is the manifestation of shame. For if we know we are made in the image of God, and we are, why would we be ashamed? Pope John Paul II reminds us that the book of Genesis sketches both the origin of shame in the human being and the degrees of shame in both man and woman. Here we see the origin of shame in original sin in the garden, back in the day, in the beginning. That's the origin. But the degrees of shame in both man and woman, there are some people who are shameless, and that just means they're brazen. That just means they are discounting their conscience, which can never be totally silenced. The degrees of shame, both in the man and in the woman, in the husband and the wife. Sexual shame is treated in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verse 7, attest to the loss of the original certainty that through its masculinity and femininity, the body was the specific substratum of such personal communion which the Creator intended in creating us male and female, in creating us in the beginning when He saw that it was all good. The original certainty lost when original sin and original shame entered the scene. This use of the word substratum is to be taken up by Pope John Paul II a little later in the same catechesis, so we'll continue our focus on shame here for a moment. Shame manifests the loss of the sense of the image of God and man after original sin. So before original sin, we sensed, well, that we are in the image of God. Now we sense our being disfigured. A disfiguration which can only be repaired, which can only be cured by the life of grace, by Christ's grace in us, given us as he intends through his bride mother church, beginning with holy baptism, the saving waters, made powerful by the blood and water which flowed forth from his pierced heart, made powerful by the waters in which he stood with John at Jordan. Shame invaded the man, woman, relation as a whole manifested through the imbalance of the original meaning of bodily unity that is through the imbalance of the body as a specific substratum of the communion of persons this is a very packed sentence of the holy father shame invaded uh, that's something think of the anschluss well, the austrians didn't like to be invaded poland didn't like to be invaded who likes to be invaded? When you get sick, the germs invade your body. It's your immune system which fights it off, huh? So we need God's grace to fight off this invasion of shame. We need the redemption of Jesus Christ to fight off Satan and sin, shame in our lives, to heal, to repair the relation between man and woman, husband and wife, wholly, entirely, to restore balance to the original meaning of bodily unity, to restore the communion of persons. And again, we see the Holy Father using that substratum reference. What is the substratum? The body is the substratum of the communion of persons. Because you have ears, you can hear my words. If you read my words written down, you can read them because you can see them with your eyes. Or if they were punched into braille, you could read them with your fingers. You could look me in the eye as I speak these words. The body is a substratum, that undergirding, like a foundation. 
But it's not just a communion of bodies. Amoebas have that, two amoebas next to each other. There's a certain communion, not very deep or rich. But a communion of persons, which husband and wife are, this man and this woman, this is not just a bodily communion, it's heart to heart, cor ad cor loquitur. That's the motto of John Henry Cardinal Newman, whom Pope Benedict XVI will soon be beatifying. Pope John Paul II is here insisting that there is a deeper dimension of shame than merely bodily shame or sexual shame. He refers us to chapter 3 of the book of Genesis, the first book in sacred scripture, which provides us with the elements to define the deepest dimension of shame. Until next time, God bless you.